0: Hi, I'm Mike McGrath, host of You Bet Your Garden, right here on PBS39. And I have a very special offer for our television friends. We have obtained a sizable number of little Lucky Duckies. So if you're a fan of the show and you're a fan of Ducky, and you'd like to support public television and PBS 39, and specifically this show, we are prepared to send you your own little lucky duck for a generous pledge of $60 or more. You'll also get Passport, which will allow you to watch millions of previous PBS shows, and you'll know you did good by your old Uncle Mike. So, to get all the details, visit our website, You Bet Your Garden. I'm Holiday Snoozin' Mike McGrath, and you're listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and TV at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from PBS39 in the Christmas City of Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we will tell you the dangers of planting running bamboo and what it can mean for you legally. But mostly, it's a fabulous phone call show, Cats and Kittens. You know what that means. We're taking that heap and helping at 833-727-9588. Joan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: I am just ducky, Joan. Thank you for asking. <laughs> how are you doing?
1: I am absolutely terrific.
0: And where is Joan absolutely terrific?
1: In Poconos Summit.
0: All right. What can we do for Joan in the Poconos?
1: Well, I need you to help me with an issue that I'm having with um, some pruning that I did at the end of the summer. I have two large, gorgeous holly bushes slash trees. I guess I should call them bushes, but they're very large. And they were growing over top of in the the site of my window, so I didn't think that was a good thing. Mm -hmm. So I cut them down, uh, pruned them back, and they look horrible. They Mm -hmm. look like twigs just sticking up, and I am so upset. I'm sort of... Wondering if I should have not touched
0: them. Oh, yeah, you should not have. They're, um, you know, I read all these articles that appear in newspapers in November, and they all talk about how important it is to prune things back before winter comes. And it yes. really is the only terrible time to do pruning because pruning stimulates growth when you prune at the end of the summer going into winter. You're still stimulating growth. The shrub, the tree, whatever, it wants to go dormant. So you're sucking energy away that would be used to keep the plant alive during the winter. Plus, you can stimulate actual new growth of new branches. And then if, the you know, nine days from then, if the temperature drops to 25, all that Uh fresh young sap freezes and it can really damage the plant. The best time to prune hollies, of course, is the first freezing cold temperatures right before Christmas. Even if you don't celebrate the holiday, you can give it to your friends who do. Fresh holly always.
1: Oh, I
0: see. Well, always looks great for the holidays. Absolutely. Um, second best time, you can do it over the winter. You can also prune them back as they begin to grow. In the spring, but nobody should prune anything in the fall. And I realize a lot oh. of people are slapping their heads now, but don't do it next year, kids.
1: Well, do you think they're going to grow back nice and lush and it's going to fill in on the top? What do you think?
0: Yes and no. Yes and no. Hollies are remarkable in their ability to regrow. Is there any good growth down at the bottom of the plant?
1: Fairly good growth, but it's becoming the—it's the, the, too— and they're becoming mature and at the bottom they're getting kind of thick and you know developing almost what might be called the beginning of a trunk.
0: Yeah, that's how most hollies most hollies okay. work. Um okay. so you've 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 really crashed the tops of the plants, right?
1: Yes, I have.
0: So sometime over the winter, I would advise you to cut cut off all the ugly parts. Don't be afraid if you're not leaving a lot there. Um, Hollies have a remarkable ability to grow back from a stump. I have a a holly outside my house that just never had a good shape to it, no matter how I pruned it. Mm -hmm. But I I mentioned it to uh, a caretaker at one of the local arboretums, and Mm -hmm. he said when their hollies get shabby like that, they cut them way down, and Mm -hmm. then it'll take a year or two But then they regrow into a much better shape. And sure enough, that's exactly what's happened to my holly. I started to take the top off a few years ago, took it off progressively every Christmas. Now it's gone, and there is a beautifully shaped holly underneath a little bit more of the trunk, and I'll be cutting that trunk off later this season when it's really freezing cold. Well,
1: I'm kind of happy, but I'm still a little bit sad because I'd rather have the overgrowth and the greenery and the you know the beauty of the the shrub or the bush or whatever you want to call it
0: but, yeah well uh, that's the nice thing and you know let's say a month from now feel free mm-hmm. to prune away all those sticks and then in the spring, you'll see what you get. In the spring, uh, feed it some holly tone or another organic or natural fertilizer that acidifies the soil. You know, give it okay. the strength to grow a lot of new material. And as okay. it grows, if you see a, a rogue shoot going off where it doesn't belong, mm-hmm. prune that off right away. The best oh, okay. The best way to prune plants is like an inch or two every week during the spring and summer. That's how they make these topiaries and these beautifully shaped trees. They don't whack them down in the fall, winter or spring. They're out there like a guy who always gets a great haircut. He gets it done once a week. They only yeah. take a little bit off, but he always looks yeah. sensational.
1: One more question. When should I put the hollyhock on? The, holly
0: the holly tone?
1: <laughs> Um In
0: the spring, two weeks after you see new growth.
1: Terrific. Thank you so much.
0: 1-833-727-9588. J. welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
2: Thank you, Mike. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for taking my call. I'm in Montauk, New York. We're on the eastern tip of Long Island, and about 125 miles east of New York City.
0: Oh, okay. Huge gardening uh, population on Long Island. I've uh, spoken out there to many gardening groups. And, you know, your conditions are a little rough, but I think that makes people better gardeners.
2: Well, it is is a little bit of a challenge. Um, Our our summers are, are a little bit more mild. In what we say up the island, which is a further, which is further west, right? Um, our springs take a long time to get here, and all of this is a function of the temperature of the Atlantic Ocean.
0: Sure, I mean it. It stays cold for a long time in the spring, but you know the converse is true. If you really like being in the ocean and going, what we used to say in Philly down the shore, September and even sometimes October are wonderful because it takes the ocean quite a while to lose temperature as it does to gain it in the spring. I think September, the water is generally the warmest it ever gets. All right, well, what can we do for you, Jay?
2: Well, I've been gardening for many decades, and one of the, one of the crops that I enjoy growing is Brussels sprouts. But over the past few years, I've had increasing difficulty getting my Brussels sprouts, the actual sprouts, to grow large.
1: They mm-hmm. tend
2: to be, the plants are not dwarfed, the plants are easily knee-high, three feet tall, but the stems are too narrow and the sprouts themselves are only about a half inch in diameter and I'd be looking to get sprouts about an inch in diameter and I've, I'm stumped. I've done research, I've searched the web, I've talked to other gardeners and I've come up empty. So I'm hopeful that you can give me some suggestions.
0: Maybe God is trying to tell you something here, Jay. Maybe Brussels sprouts are, were, were not to be meant for human conception, like, uh, like lima beans, uh, human consumption, not conception. Like lima beans, they're like animal feed. <laughs>
2: no, 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 no. Here's we, our family has always made a big deal about eating the first Pickings of Brussels sprouts on Thanksgiving, and okay. my family expects me to be able to produce Brussels sprouts. I hope a great they're, disappointment.
0: I, I hope I they're cooked with twice as much butter as <laughs> as weight of Brussels sprout.
2: We're purists. No, steam them and serve them.
0: No, naked. And you,
2: and you haven't lived until you've had Brussels sprout salad.
0: I um. Well, I'm, I'm contemplating my options here. <laughs> I'm not sure what living means in that context, Jay. Okay. Well,
2: well, well short short of not planting them. No. What's your nest suggestion?
0: Okay. So, uh are you starting them from seed yourself indoors?
2: Yes, I start them from seed indoors around April 15th or
0: 20th. Why do you wait so long?
2: Um because they I want them to um, mature in October and November, mm-hmm. and um, if, if I should start them sooner, maybe, maybe, maybe that's your suggestion.
0: That's one uh, of my suggestions. You're starting your Brussels sprouts um, a good month after I've started my uh, tomatoes and pepper seeds. And you know Brussels sprouts, I mean, theoretically, man, let's say you start them on February 1st you got all of february which is a short month admittedly but then you got all of march and uh with your mild climate mild because you're surrounded by water you'd have pretty much seven or eight week old starts that could now go outside you know the plants don't mind the cold one bit um and the uh the hours of daylight and the photosyntheses power of the sun are are approaching some of their strongest so i think yes you're starting them too late
2: okay okay now i generally put them out into the garden about a month after i've started them they generally have about four or so true leaves by the time i put them out
0: excellent because you're you're taking them out much too quickly
2: okay when when would you suggest i put them out into the garden
0: I would start them on the 1st of February and grow them inside all through February and March and put them out on April Fool's Day.
2: All right. That's when I plant
0: my peas. There you go. Perfect.
2: Okay. Mike, thank you very much for your advice. And um, based upon your comments about Brussels sprouts, I don't think you'll be receiving a Thanksgiving invitation from our family for dinner.
0: I'll come for the stuffing. You know, I'm a fool for stuffing.
2: And desserts are always good.
0: There you go. All right. Good luck, sir. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind you that you are listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden from January 2019, which you might still be writing on your checks now, aren't you? But don't go looking for the whiteout just yet, because we'll be right back with dire warnings about running bamboo and more of your dire phone calls. I'm holiday snoozing, Mike McGrath. And you're listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and TV at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I'm Holiday Snoozin' Mike McGrath, and you're listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and TV at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from PBS39 in the Christmas City of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we will warn you a double warning about planting running bamboo on your property. Might not be your neighbors you only have to deal with. The coppers could be coming for you. But mostly, we're taking your fabulous phone calls today at 833-727-9588. Jesse and Nick, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
3: Thank you. Uh, we're real glad to be here. Thanks for having
0: us. Well, thanks for being had, guys. Now, uh, where are you? We are at
4: New York Charter School in Newark, Delaware.
0: And your students, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you were telling us before something very interesting. Your charter school. Um, tell us the story. Uh, you've been going to your charter school all your life, right? Let's Pretty hear much. from Let's hear from Nick. So we.
3: Jesse, when did did you come here? Kindergarten. Jesse came in kindergarten. I actually joined in first grade. And what's cool about our school is we've been growing. And we actually, so we were the first time they opened the elementary school, they opened kindergarten. The first class, kindergarten class we had was our grade level. And now they opened up the high school. We had our first graduating senior class a couple years ago. But our class will be the first class to go K through 12 in this school, which is pretty exciting for us.
0: That's great, and it sounds like you've enjoyed the experience.
3: Yes, of course.
0: Okay, and you're the Newark Charter High School in Newark, Delaware. Uh, Jesse, you get started. What can we do for you?
4: Well, uh, both of us are working on a project in our engineering class, and we have to look at a problem uh, and, and create a solution um, that solves the problem. So we're both interested in uh, conservation. So... We chose rainwater harvesting, and we're planning on designing a, a water tank-like uh, system that can collect water and distrib- distribute it autonomously and without using energy. So we know you know a lot, of, a lot about horticulture and the products that exist out there, and we'd like to know if there's any area that we can concentrate on and improve upon um, in, this, in our design process.
0: Uh, Nick, do you want to add anything?
3: basically we're looking into this from kind of an outside perspective because i know i own a garden and i know jesse's got a lawn and everything but we're by no means experts in this field and that's where we could really use your help like if you wanted a system that w- could collect rainwater for you to use in your garden what would you want to have with it that's mainly why we're calling here today
0: right and um, these systems do exist in several different forms. But I will remind you guys that this would have to be probably for a different part of the country. As, as you fellows know, especially the gardener, um, we were saturated with way too many inches of rain you know now if you were real rocket scientists if you two were real brainiacs you'd figure out a way to send our excess rain over to the west coast so they wouldn't have all these wildfires um and you've been you're geniuses you've been going to this school all your life you you should be able to do that matter transfer all you need is enough energy right guys right and
4: uh a problem that we're focusing on is how to create that energy. Uh, We're looking at hydrostatic pressure and gravity. So however we can utilize that in our product um, can definitely be more attractive to consumers.
0: There are a lot of workshops held by uh, master gardeners and extension services throughout the Northeast that feature a system called rain barrels. And this is a giant 55 gallon barrel that as you guys wisely note is up on Uh, stacks of pavers or in an elevated area so that the water can flow into the rain barrel from the gutters, but then it's up high enough that gravity can then feed it down without the need for a pump or electricity. And some people will simply utilize this to put a watering can underneath and do hand watering. Other people, more sophisticated, will run uh, watering tubes into their garden and just turn on the spigot when the garden needs water early in the morning and let the rain barrel empty out. And in an area that has a lack of water in which your systems are incredibly, incredibly necessary, um, the second is the better way because The more you water close to the surface, the less evaporation there is. The less the average rainfall, the more a system like yours is needed. Um, Back when organic gardening was still in existence, the magazine also had a program for community gardens in which they actually built giant cisterns that could hold thousands of gallons of water with multiple water outlets. And these were simply fed by rain, but they were large enough that they could uh, fill up during the wet times and then be emptied during the dry times. And these things could store enough water. You know, typically, even in the Northeast, it's not that wet in the summer, but it is in the spring and the fall and over the winter. So that's like a reservoir. That's when your cistern fills up, and then you utilize it during the dry times. And there's also a third type of system which you may want to look at, but it is not as energy efficient. There are companies now that are building cisterns underground, whether your home is new or under construction, and all of the water, um, storm water from your driveway, all of the water from your gutters, it all goes to this underground cistern. So there's no evaporation now, there's no loss, and then when necessary, the water is pumped out to, out to spigots or out to, uh, you know, water lines that are in the garden. But where your system could be most utilized is honestly out in the west. Although, again, we may not have a wet summer like this. So you're looking at rain barrels, and then you're looking at larger structures. And, again, you already have the basic element down in that you use gravity to be your friend. One of the things you may wanna do is compare the efficiency of water harvesting off of a one-story home, uh, a rancher, versus a two or three-story home. Because the taller the home, the higher up you can get that water tank, that water holder, and then the more natural water pressure you're going to have. Now, have you guys thought about mosquito breeding?
3: Yes, so we were looking at one of our main sources was a WHO document about the health, safety and different things about rainwater.
0: Right, World Health Organization.
3: Yes, their major concern was, of course, mosquitoes and the possibility of them getting inside the mosquito, the rain barrel. So we've been looking in and a lot of products feature mosquito netting to keep mosquitoes out. We found a lot of barrels that are actually sealed to the outside. So the only way mosquitoes would get in is through the gutter systems, which already have natural the, um, netting on them to prevent leaves and stuff from clogging.
0: Well, uh, yes and no. Yes and no. There are, uh, you need mosquito screens generally on top of them. I've seen the designs that you talk about where it's the, the barrel. The barrel has a lid. The gutter fits into the lid. That would have to be sealed with caulking. Uh, female mosquitoes are very small. And if they sense water, they can get inside that tank. And then the mosquitoes that hatch out could very easily get out any holes. So it would have to be tight-fitting. Either that, or in addition, if you wanted to be really clever, there's an all-natural substance called BTI that prevents mosquitoes from breeding in standing water. And if you were to position this barrel or this structure near, say, a second-floor window, then once a month you could drop a a BTI donut into the top of the barrel. You wouldn't have to worry about netting. You wouldn't have to worry about screening. And you would be making a mosquito trap. The female mosquitoes would still go to that water to lay their eggs, but the BTI would make the eggs inert. They would not hatch into biting adults. So you could have an open source of water that would reduce the number of mosquitoes in the landscape and still water the garden.
3: That sounds like definitely something we can contribute into our solution. Thank you for that.
4: Are yeah. there any other substances or uh, pests that can get into that could potentially get into our rain barrel and that we should uh, plan on how to
0: avoid? There's not going to be anything other that would get into your rain barrel that wouldn't almost become fertilizer. Like if birds poop in the water a little bit. I mean, that's simply food for your plants. You're probably gonna have to design or incorporate some method of screening at the outtake if you do the open barrel method. And you'd have to lay screening over top during um, leaf fall season. Um, Because you simply don't wanna make it clog up. Uh, And remember that when you're talking about clogs, the bigger the spout, the more the water can come out even if there's little bits of debris in there. But the smaller the spout, you really have to have a clean machine that is just water and none of the debris from the gutters or anything like that.
4: And why do you think rainwater harvesting in general is a, uh, a good practice for consumers?
0: Well, first of all, it helps the plants. If you're growing in the city, your water is treated with fluoride, maybe aluminum, maybe other water purification things that plants don't especially like. Whereby the rainwater is going to be very clean, and there just seems to be something about rainwater that plants prefer. It's like they're, it's in their DNA. And if it does go through a gutter that's got some dirt up there, um, some debris, some leaf fall, some seeds from the trees, then you know it's it's almost creating a a little bit of a compost tea. So anything you can do to reduce the amount of water that goes into water purification systems that runs into streams and rivers Um, the more you can reduce that flow and slow down that flow that's good for all aspects of the environment and it's very cost effective
3: that that leads us into something a problem that me and jesse were considering being the materials we wanted to construct our Solution out of we were thinking leaning heavily on PVC plastic.
0: I would, I would, toxicity. I would urge, yeah, I would urge you not to. PVC is polyvinyl chloride. Uh, Chloride being a form of chlorine. Chlorine gas killed the most soldiers during World War One. I consider it to be very toxic. If you're in an area with acid rain, it is going to leach those chemicals out of the pipe. I think you want to look for really inert alternatives. There are new um, there are new pipe types for indoor water that are free of these chemicals. Um, and you know, all of us test positive for these chemicals. Um, all of us have PVC in our urine and our bloodstream. Um, we don't want to contribute uh, to its use. There's where you guys need to really do some research, and find the best inert substance. You know, there may be problems with these down the line, but don't buy into problems that we already know about, okay? Yes. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Nick, from the Newark Charter High School in Newark, Delaware. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. Our number is 833 pbs Eric, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi there. Hey, Eric. How you doing, man? Very good. Calling from State College. Okay. Are you a student? A uh, faculty. Oh, okay. What do you teach? Astronomy. Cool. So you're like uh, a rocket scientist there, huh?
5: Uh, uh, something close by.
0: (laughs) Now, um, we're on the air in State College at Duh, as you probably know. And uh, I've appeared there a couple of times. Great audiences, uh, a great town you have there. I did not realize that State College um, had an astronomy department.
5: Oh, actually, we have a a really strong astronomy department. People come from all over the world uh, to, to study and do research here.
0: And I and, But you also have a, a, a weather forecasting department, right? Meteorology?
5: Yep, the meteorology department is also very well known. Uh, AccuWeather is nearby, and our College of Earth and Mineral Sciences has a great climate group as well as uh, weather.
0: Okay, so the big question, man, before we get to the gardening issue. Pluto, planet or not a planet? <laughs> Kuiper Belt objects. Oh, you're so mean. All right, well, we'll try to help you anyway. What can we do for you gardening-wise, Eric?
5: Uh, a few years ago, I set up a raised bed in one of my few sunny spots, um, and, I, you know, okay, worked reasonably well, got some verticillium, so made a second one to rotate things around. Um, but I started with the six-inch uh, beds, and I'm thinking now that it would be good to try to increase their height, and so I'm hoping this uh, fall to sort of make it a little bigger. And I was wondering, should I add, like, you know, one inch of compost every month? Should I add Six inches all at once. Should I kind of? Uh, how do I do it so that the uh, all the good work I've put into the soil over the years isn't eroded by my increasing the depth?
0: Oh, it shouldn't. Um, I like my raised beds as high as they can possibly be. So if you have a way to add six inches or eight inches to that, absolutely go for it. Um, These beds have been in existence for a while. There's probably some weed seeds underneath the soil. So I I would urge you not to disturb uh, the soil that will now become the subsoil. And for you to just think that you're filling a brand new raised bed. And what I would recommend is, quote, half compost, half nice screened topsoil that's rich and black in color when it's dry, and a big bag of perlite. And I realize that's two halves plus a tip. Uh, But I really like, especially where you are, the soils are a little bit heavy. Um, Your climate is a little bit colder than a lot of our listeners in the winter. So I really would go for the extra drainage. Um, Perlite, if you're not familiar with it, is uh, when you buy plants, uh, the little round white balls that are in the potting soil, I think people think they're styrofoam or something artificial. And actually, they're really cool. They are a mined mineral. They're a form of mica that's taken from volcanic deposits and popped in big ovens. So it turns into those little balls. And those little balls, at the same time, improve drainage and hold water because they have all these microscopic pores and little holes in them, almost like craters on a moon. So, so yep. you know what we're talking about, talking about astronomy here and perlite. And so they hold water, but also they separate the grains of soil, the compost and the topsoil, and they allow for more water flow and airflow. So, I mean, they do an amazing job of keeping a garden healthy, especially in areas with cold winters where the soil is frozen hard for a long time. And then uh, to answer your other question— What you do is you wanna add two inches of fresh compost to the surface of the bed every season Uh, because everything will pack down. Um, you, You should have two inches to spare every spring. And that's what you do. You don't till it in. You don't mix it in because that increases weed pressures and releases nutrients from the soil that was already in there. So after you build this new bed, then every season, two inches of fresh compost right on the surface of the soil. Easy peasy. Sounds good. All right. Well, good luck. You're wrong about Pluto, but it sounds like you know how to garden, so I'll forgive you. (laughs) Well, it's time for me to take a little break and urge all yous with cut Christmas trees to utilize those wonderful branches now that we're out of season. Just prune them off at the trunk and lay those big boughs over existing plants outside, like winter pansies. Their springiness makes for a perfect non-crushing winter mulch. But don't go picking up your pruners just yet because we'll be right back with a story of bad bamboo and your bad to the bone phone calls. I'm bad, bad Mike McGrath, and you're listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodell Institute Radio and TV at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I'm holiday Snoozin' Mike McGrath, and you're listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and TV at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week about how bamboo must be banished from your property or you could get in trouble with the law as well as your neighbor's. But first, a couple more of your fascinating phone calls at eight three three seven two seven nine five eighty eight. Catriona, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
6: Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being had, Cat. How are you?
6: I'm well, thank you. Here in Newport News, Virginia.
0: Oh, okay. Down in the uh, down in the Virginia Beach area.
6: Correct. I'm just north of there by about an hour.
0: Oh well, that's a long. That's a long. Are you on the other side of the bridge, the Bay Bridge?
6: Um, well, yeah, if you're coming south, I would be on the other side of the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Yeah.
0: What? Yeah, a- by
6: by about three and a half or four hours.
0: Oh, okay. That What an engineering marvel that bridge is. I just love that thing.
6: It's amazing. And it's especially good when you go across with a motorcycle on a wind advisory night.
0: Oh, I can see that. For people who don't know, it's like 22 miles of highway right over what appears to be the ocean, but which is just a a deep part of the Bay and there's two gigantic tunnels you dive into and out of. It's, uh, it's quite exciting. All right. So what can we do for cat in the Virginia beach area?
6: So I live in Yorktown, Virginia, and I was given a majestic poem by a friend of mine who had it in a sunroom in Newport news. Mm -hmm. And since the weather is dropping, it's consistently about in the thirties every night. And I have it in front of a town home window. I just wanted to make sure that I was giving it all the care it needed to keep all of its leaves and grow some more.
0: Well, uh, when were you gifted with this majestic palm?
6: Oh, probably August, September, somewhere around there. It wasn't near 50s yet.
0: Okay. Did Did it sit outside at your place for any time?
6: Never, never. It's always been inside.
0: Okay. At Even at their place?
6: I believe so. They had it in the sunroom, which was
0: Which was ideal, insulated. right?
6: I'm sorry?
0: Which was ideal for this plant.
6: Yes, yes, uh, I believe so. They had it in the sunroom. It wasn't heated, so it was just protected, you know, by the natural insulation, almost like a greenhouse.
0: Okay, so it does it still look majestic?
6: Somewhat. It's getting yellowing around the edges of the leaves, where the leaves aren't necessarily, like, in front of the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yellowing of the leaves uh, of houseplants can also be a sign of over watering um how often are you watering this plant
6: at least every two days
0: oh and is your air very dry in your house or do you have it humidified to any degree
6: i don't have a humidifier in there because i'd have to refill it every day right so right next to the heat vent
0: oh okay well you gotta move it it can't sit next to a hot air vent um it had to have dropped some leaves as well right
6: no, it hasn't dropped any hasn't leaves, dropped and any leaves. the edge of the leaf that's yellowing has crept up, but very slowly.
0: Okay. Um, I still would like to get it away from that vent. Is there another source of good light, bright light?
6: I don't think so. Is the that's the vent probably in, the best window in the house. Or
0: is the vent in the floor? Yes. You know what you can do? You can go to Home Desk Spot or Lowe's or a good hardware store, and you can get those plastic diverters to put over mm-hmm. top of the heat vent that would push the breeze away from the plant. Okay. That's the first thing I would do. Um, second thing I would do is uh, how how tall is the plant?
1: Oh, gosh.
6: I mean, if They're you're big. thinking of a normal eight-foot window, mm-hmm. the top of the leaf the top of the leaf surpasses the window at a normal height and goes towards the ceiling. It's it's quite a large plant.
0: Okay. And are you turning it to keep the light equal on all sides?
6: No. And the reason why is I have one leaf that's completely taking up the entire window, like propped up against the wall. Yeah. And every time I'd have to turn it, I'd have to remove the leaf and then prop the next one up.
0: <laughs> I would still turn it. Okay. I would still turn it or else you're going to get a lopsided plant. Now, um, I haven't cons-
6: noticed any of the palm leaves turning towards the light from the window, though.
0: Well, they move slowly. That's that's okay. true. Um, now, is it it's sitting in a, uh, a saucer that's protecting the floor? It is. And do you ever allow water to build up in that saucer?
6: No, I'm pretty sure I'm not watering it um, with enough water for the water to go all the way down to the saucer.
0: If you have not had water come through to the saucer, then you're not over-watering. Okay. Um, and you say the leaves are kind of recovering.
6: No, it looks like they're getting worse, but very slowly.
0: And have you fed it?
6: No, I haven't fed it because I was worried that going into winter, I remember, because the sunlight is um, less in the winter, not to feed plants until the spring.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, let's hope that it's the hot air vent. So. Okay. As soon as you can, get one of those diverters. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. The plastic yes. things that fit over yes. the vent in the floor. Divert yes. the hot air away from there, um, starting as soon as possible, mist the leaves every morning. Um, you okay. know, get a nice mister and just spray the leaves gently until they're coated with water every morning, and okay. the plant can absorb water um, from those leaves and this should help combat what sounds like very low humidity in your house. If you're wearing a sweater and you have a fight with somebody and you rub your feet on the floor, can you give them a shock like Electro?
6: I haven't tried that with my husband. Are you recommending that?
0: Well, it depends on what you got for Christmas, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> whether it was adequate or not. So I'll, I'll leave that up to you. Uh, okay. But and then in the spring, I mean, just try to coax this thing through its first winter in your house. In the spring, repot it um, into a larger pot. Not taller, obviously, but wider. Um, these things do need more room around the roots. Use a high-quality potting soil and then feed it by mixing in half compost with that potting soil. Um, and once the heat goes off, let's hope for a real regression. Is it growing any new leaves at all?
6: It has two shoots, and it's difficult for me to guess if the shoots are, or gauge, I mean, if the shoots are getting taller. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does have one very tall shoot, and then one shoot that's kind of about half the height of the other one.
0: Excellent. Excellent. That's a great sign. That's the most perfect sign you can get with a plant like this it's not unusual for you to have to modify the situation to get a plant to be happy again yellow yellow on the outside of the leaves could just be environmental stress let's hope that's it Um, but those new shoots are a very positive sign i predict good things for the plant
6: yay that's exciting all right cat I have one more question for you. When it comes to feeding it in the spring, half compost and half potting soil uh, and organic potting soil, should I use organic fertilizer as well?
0: Um, I wouldn't go too nuts. I would first repot it with the compost. That will give it a nice little boost. And then if you want to give it another little boost uh, in June or July, you could use a very dilute solution of a liquid organic fertilizer. Make sure it doesn't smell bad before you use it in the house.
6: Okay. Thanks so much, Mike. I appreciate it.
0: All right. My pleasure, Kat. Take care. All right. As promised, it's time for the question of the week. Be warned, bamboo will get you busted. Doug in Drexel Hill, PA, writes, You would do the country a great service by constantly reminding your viewers and listeners not to plant bamboo on their property. I recently went through a hellish experience with a neighbor who has a, quote, legacy planting of bamboo that was started by his father. That bamboo has been invading my property for 15 years. Thankfully, our township just passed a bamboo ordinance However, the impenetrable barrier requirement of the ordinance does not specify a depth like must be 30 inches or more deep. My neighbor, after being sighted by the township, removed the existing bamboo columns and installed a two inch deep, quote, barrier. This small of a barrier will never work, but the ordinance was not written to require a prescribed depth. Please remind township officials that they need to be more specific with the requirements of such an ordinance. In addition, no one should ever be lauding the merits of bamboo. For instance, I am extremely disappointed at Penn State University's large bamboo display in their otherwise beautiful arboretum. They use an elaborate containment system that prevents the bamboo from spreading, but fail to let visitors know about the need For a barrier that is 25 to 30 to 35 inches deep, for a university to promote bamboo without describing its extreme confinement needs is negligence. Arboretums need to educate visitors about the requirements necessary to contain bamboo if a homeowner wants this invasive species on their property. Please inform your legion of followers, that would be you out there, that bamboo is bad when the bamboo grower is not willing to install proper barriers. Well, if this was another topic, I'd be tempted to be cute and say something like, gee, Doug, don't hold back. How do you really feel about running bamboo? But this is not another topic. This is more like looking at a baby Godzilla and saying, aww. Isn't I'm sure the neighbors won't mind if we bring him home. We have a big backyard. Fast forward and the neighbor's home is now up on stilts that they did not install and or the local high tension lines have been declared an endangered species. If Godzilla is indeed the king of monsters, a sentiment we highly endorse here at You Bet Your Garden, running bamboo is the king of the monstrous invasive plants. But first let's back up a bit. There are two basic types of bamboo. The, quote, good bamboo is most commonly known as clumping bamboo. Like fescue and ornamental grasses, the clumps will get larger and wider over time, as do many of us, but they will not travel outside of their clumpdom and cause a shed 20 feet away to rise up, fall down, and go boom. That superpower belongs to, quote, running bamboo, also known as spreading bamboo, arrow bamboo, and many other names I cannot speak on the network of Mr. Rogers. These tropical but winter-hardy plants form a dense underground root system that shoots combs up out of the ground at varying distances from the mother plant. Culm is the proper name for the stalks you see above ground, which all terminate in a common root system. So when you see a, quote, forest of bamboo, you're looking at one big plant. Think of all the branches of a big tree, but the tree is somehow underground. Those aren't 100 different trees. There are 100 branches of the same plant, except that oaks and maples don't get up and walk around. Now, neither does running bamboo. Actually, it runs like its rhizomes were escaping a mugging, except that it's the mugger. If running bamboo is planted next door, it will not stay next door unless there is a water-filled stream River, canal, or trench in between. As with vampires, bamboo cannot cross over running water. There is an impenetrable barrier to advancement like a sheer cliff or other rocky outcome. A professional rhizome barrier is installed to contain it. Or you live next to a Pennsylvania Dutchman who will mow down the new chutes on a weekly basis and remark, Say now, this ain't too bad. I've had worse. I inherited a large stand not too far from my house, but there's a stream in between our houses. And despite the stream sometimes going dry in the summer, the bamboo has stayed on the other side for 35 years. There are giant rock out cliffs behind the stand. Our local road is in front of the stand, and although some chutes do get through, the township cuts them out and tars them over. And on the other side is my excellent neighbor, Willard, and his invincible mower. Hey now, no problem, says Willard. Okay, so where does this leave us as more and more cities and municipalities are banning bad bamboo? Doug's neighbor is wasting his time with a two-inch barrier as that is clearly not adequate to control these Asian triffids. Their bamboo ordinance, which I just read, may not specify depth, but it also does not bail out completely. Its specific language requires, quote, sheathing, of a sufficient depth to prevent the encroachment onto neighborhood property. Simply said, if and when your new stuff still pokes up on Doug's side, his neighbor gets popped to the tune of 25 bills a day, and he has to pay for the removal of the new bamboo and a new bamboo barrier. Well, that sure was a sad story about an otherwise exceptional plant. Now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website to read it over in detail with links to helpful sites offering removal and containment advice. Just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be, youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest question of the week, at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes! My producer is threatening to plant bamboo next to my green beans if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, you're tired, you're poor, you're wretched, refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org.
1: Please include your location.
0: And As always, you'll find all of this contact information at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all your garden questions. I dare you to find one we haven't covered. Audio of this show, video of this show, and our priceless podcast. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he realized there might not be a Santa Claus after all. Believe me, that made for a very rough 2018. Ken Cleater plays our theme song. Our Chief Content Officer is Joni Greenbaum. Our Angel of the Airways is Christine Dempsey. Our Engineer is Cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our Social Media Director is Amanda Northley. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tavia Minnick is our profound producer of priceless production. The lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our director of direction, harried and harassed Javier Diaz, takes all of the paper out of the restroom when the crew has been bad. Yo, anybody over there got changed for a five? Come on. Andy Cummins makes our equipment work most of the time. Zach the is in the house. Um, lots of other people worked on the show. Uh, but their names are missing on the teleprompter. Um, despite his recent appearance before a special prosecutor, our beloved CEO Tim Fallon still insists that he is not our executive producer. But we're not sure because he showed up so late for the meeting that everybody else had gone home. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, wondering what to call the Christmas city once the holidays are completely over and tossed it trees covered with tinsel, are rolling like tumbleweeds across the Fahey Bridge. The Blast Furnace Barrow? Hmm, no. The Lehigh River's favorite city? Yeah. How about, hey, how about Historic Bethlehem? What? They used that one already? Well dig it out, polish it up, and run it until next October, when we'll be the Christmas city once again, and I will still be seeing you next week. Mike McGrath, host of You Bet Your Garden, right here on PBS39. And I would like you to become a member of our wonderful station. And to kind of lure you in, we have a lucky duck charm, a tiny little ducky you can carry around with you as a thank you gift for your pledge of $60 or more at youbetyourgarden.org. This will support PBS39, support public broadcasting in general, and more importantly, support my show. As a member, you will also get Passport, which will allow you to watch lots of previous PBS shows and current shows. It is a great deal, and it's all included with your membership of $60 at YouBetYourGarden.org.